0: From the deeply rooted studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another grassy episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hygiene. You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. You see some of the worst landscaping practices at condo associations, where plant lovers are often forced to watch helpless horticulture being harassed. On today's show, our example will be the grinding down of above-ground tree stumps of healthy trees to try and get grass to grow underneath. Yuck! Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy perusing pine straw, So we will take that heap and help them. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and intimately intuitive inculcations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you getting your trees and turf to play nice together right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and coming up later in the show, a constant problem for homeowners. Lawns underneath trees. Can you grow grass right up to a tree? Yes, you can, but it takes a special situation and what about above ground roots should they ever be ground down themselves we'll answer those burning questions after a lot of your burning phone calls at 833-727-9588 ed welcome to you bet your garden How how you doing i'm doing good ed how are you i'm all right and where is ed all right i'm in westchester pennsylvania okay not that far from philadelphia what can we do for Ed in West Chester?
1: <clears throat> well, I've had these um, look like uh, yellow jackets. They keep coming and building their nests along the driveway in the rocks.
2: Ooh.
3: And they keep
1: coming back every year. Oh. And I, got, uh, I must have about 100 of them flying around out there, and they're pretty big. And I'm huh. worried about this uh, house. How can I get rid, get rid of them? Because they actually leave
0: mounds of sand. And they, huh. they, they bury their eggs in the ground or something. Huh. You don't have yellow jackets. What is that? You don't have yellow jackets. Yellow things? No. uh, Yellow jackets uh, do not reuse their nest. Yellow jackets are are very dangerous social wasps. They build very large underground nests, and at the end of the summer, when they start to go nuts because they realize winter's coming. Oh yeah, right. There there can be five to ten thousand yellow jackets in a single nest. Oh my god. Um, And having a nest inside a stone wall or a group of stones would be entirely possible. Uh, but mm-hmm. the and but yellow jackets are not big. They are pretty much exactly the same size as a honeybee, except mm-hmm. that yellow jackets are much smoother, whereby honeybees are kind of furry. Um, okay. And you see these creatures going in and out of the rocks or out of the soil? I'm a little confused there. <clears throat>
1: Well, most of them go in and out of the rocks, but I keep wet them down with a hose. Yeah. And now they're digging. Now they're digging in the soil.
0: Right. Is this uh, is this you're running them through the sprinkler?
1: Yes. No. I'm, I have a hose out there, and I.
0: I'm just kidding. <clears> yeah. And I
1: have about uh, about 20 nests along the rocks, and I keep leveling off because it leaves right. a little mound.
0: And you've and not leveled there. And you've not been stung. No, they don't sting yet. They
1: just they say they fly close, but they never sting yet.
0: Yeah yellow jackets would come after you for fun and when the first one stings you it injects you with a pheromone that leads the others to you so people die from yellow jacket attacks um you have one of two things you either have native bees uh many of which are ground nesters like the famous uh uh, polyethylene bee, believe it or not. This is a female bee that not only digs a hole for, to lay her eggs in for her young, but she lines it with a kind of a plastic material she generates from her own body, the polyester bee. Um, or you could have the famous cicada-killing wasp, which is a very large insect. The female attacks cicadas, paralyzes them, drags them to a nest, typically in the soil, lays her eggs on top of the parasitized cicada, then covers it up, and the babies that hatch from the egg eat the cicada. It's kind of like alien on a much smaller scale. Um, cicada-killing wasps are neither beneficial nor harmful. They're just there. They're just creatures taking right. advantage of this giant. That's what I have out there of just giant protein source. Native bees are excellent pollinators, and they should always be protected. They'll make sure you have more flowers, um, fruits in your vegetable garden, but none of these creatures is harmful to you. Um, And native bees and cicada-killing wasps, I can see them colonizing the same spot year after year. That's um, it, you know. In in a rock is the wall rocky with holes or is it a pile of rocks? <clears throat> it's a pile
1: of rocks. It's about two foot high, and they're put in there loose, and there's a lot of spaces in between it. You know, if you
0: if you want to prevent them, you may have both. For instance, you could yeah. have uh, you could have nesting native bees, and you could have cicada killing wasps. If you really want to prevent them, the only thing to do would be to caulk up the holes in the wall, you know, to, to re, repoint it or something like that. And then, if you don't want them to be digging in your soil, you need to spread mulch or start a lawn there. They're um, they're always going to look for bare soil. But they're both harmless. It, you can right. you can just ignore them, and they're wonderful creatures of nature to observe and
1: (laughs) well right now they're they're annoying everybody because they they uh, they're really busy in the morning they fly around all over the place but like in the afternoon they must all go in those holes because you don't see any of them
0: yeah well it'll depend on the weather when it's really blistering hot outside they'll work the morning if right. the morning is cold and wet, but the day is nice and sunny, they'll come out in in the middle of the day. But the the bottom line is they're harmless, and we can't just go around killing every other <laughs> thing on the freaking planet. We have to let right. some creatures coexist. Um, right. And again, if they're native bees, they're good for your garden. And I don't
1: think they are. I think they're. I think they It says. Um, the cicada killer is you got the guy wrote down on the on the paper he gave hand to me
0: okay um i don't yeah. know what guy or what paper that is but yeah uh, cicada killing wasps are very large and if you right. if you cover that bare soil with plants or mulch they won't nest there again next year
1: Oh, okay okay
0: but again you got i don't know who's complaining whether it's friends family neighbors but you just tell them that they're harmless
1: that's right. I tell everybody they're harmless. They won't bother you. Yeah. But they, they do scare you because they, they, others, always two, one's chasing the other one. They I guess the male's chasing the female, I'm not yeah. sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I imagine but, some animal species would be frightened if they saw us chasing our females. But, you exactly. know, that's just, <laughs> it's just the way of the world, Ed. I know. I no know. problem whatsoever.
1: All right, man? Okay. All right, thank you.
0: All right. Good luck to you, sir. All right, bye bye. 833 727 9588. Paul, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi,
3: Mike. How have you been?
0: I am just ducky. Thank you for asking. <laughs> How are you, Paul?
3: I'm just fine. And I'm where? You're in East Texas.
0: East Texas. You know, there is a town called East Texas uh, near where I live in the Lehigh Valley. <laughs> I don't understand what? it. It's, and it's not far from another little town called Veracruz, so.
3: Why, why is it there called East Texas? I don't know.
0: (laughs) I mean, you could ask people, but you can't be in the middle of a town and say, town, how did you get your name? (laughs) All right. What can we do for Paul in the real East Texas?
3: Well, I'm, I'm in zone eight, uh, next to Nacogdoches, Texas, and, um, I'm in the land of uh, wild hogs and hurricanes and fire ants and everything and oh yeah i am um, the weather has been very rainy here mm-hmm. uh, it's it's very different from what zone eight used to be yeah. this area it used to I should be in a drought right now but the last couple of years it's been like a rainforest anyway um, I have two forty nine foot raised beds and um, they're both. Um, Uh, The lake, it's been raining so hard that I live next to a lake, a reservoir, Sam Rabin Reservoir, and all the um, organic debris, which is pretty much leaf mold and peat moss-like material and everything, has washed up next to my garden. It destroyed my fence and came right up to my garden. Right. So that's good. I've got tons of... uh, you know, stuff to make a, a raised bed with.
0: Right, yeah, that's, great, uh, that's great material.
3: Yeah. Um, and so I had these two 49-foot long beds, and mm-hmm. they're, I'd say, well, they were not, uh, 12 inches high when I made them. Right. But they sort of settled to 9 inches.
0: I okay, actually and- had the same thing after 30 years. My raised beds that were framed with stone that used to be a foot tall— had sunk into half their height, and we just finished this past spring rebuilding most of them back to a foot high, and I only regret that I didn't do it sooner. Uh, The results in these new beds are crazy. I've never had tomato plants this big and this lush.
3: I know. I've been online. I've seen people with uh, raised beds that are, like, two feet high. I really envy them. Yeah. (laughs) They must raise carrots or something. I don't know. (laughs)
0: so what uh what can we do for you
3: okay well in one of these beds i've got straight neck yellow squash okay and in the other bed i've got zucchini right i planted them at the same time all the soil seems to be very similar and um the yellow straight neck is doing beautifully Uh, even though it's damp and everything there's no blossom in rot the Every plant is just producing, well, there are some plants out there right now that have six or seven fruits on them right now coming out.
0: Right. And you know that with these summer squash, whether it's zucchini or crookneck or straight neck, you can harvest those at any stage. The smaller the fruit that you harvest, the more flavor it's going to have and right. the more concentrated the nutrients are, and the plant will continue are you there? pumping out. Yeah. Um, can you not hear me?
3: Oh, no. Uh, you just went out for a second. Okay.
0: okay. Uh, pick them small, and the plant will keep pumping out small ones. Because, you know, when they get too big, they get tough inside. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm guessing your zucchini is not happening.
3: The zucchini, um, it doesn't... the the um female fruits come out, and there's plenty of male flowers but, right. the, the, but the females come out and they don't even start to develop. They just turn yellow and fall off.
0: okay. <clears throat>
3: and I figure they're pretty much the same plant, so why would why would there be that uh, difference?
0: They are very similar. Zucchini has historically been a little more sulky than the other types of summer squash. Zucchini, when it's under stress, like very extreme heat or extreme amounts of rain, uh, the female plants will often abandon their fruits early in the Mm -hmm. game. Um, Are you getting nice flowers on them
3: though? Nice uh, male flowers, yeah, and uh, actually nice female flowers, too. It's just the uh, fruits that don't even start to develop.
0: Right. Now, don't forget that those squash blossoms are edible. You can can just pick the flowers and bring them inside and fill them with cream cheese or something like that and go to town, Uh, and the plants are healthy-looking, the leaves are nice and green... I, I per- yeah, I,
3: I make sure that they don't look uh, too, too, that they're not growing too fast or not too slow, you know, just regular.
0: Okay. If, if, if the problem is extreme heat and sun, if you want to have some fun, set up a beach umbrella uh, uh-huh. near a couple of the plants and see if some afternoon shade doesn't improve the problem. Typically, this does happen in very wet years. Um, yeah. So when the, when the rains settle down a little bit, which we hope they will, the entire country's had more rain than it's ever had before, uh, things should improve. You might also try potting up a few of the plants, taking them out of the raised beds, putting them into pots that have good drainage, and about half mm. the pot should be filled with loose, light potting soil. Yeah. And, and then just sit those on the ground and see if that improved drainage uh, doesn't help with the formation of fruits that last.
3: Okay. Um, do you think something like um, uh, ca- extra calcium would help?
0: Um, no, not typically. Calcium is important for tomatoes and uh, cucumbers, but uh, typically, uh, you know, squash, you know, I don't know that it's calcium-hungry, how would you apply the calcium this late in the season?
3: Yeah, right. It Probably, uh, probably with eggshells or something like yeah, that. They, yeah,
0: they're going to take too long to break down. If that's your theory, save up about a dozen eggshells, whiz them up in a blender with a pint of water, and then pour that around the root zone of the plants. That calcium should become available faster.
3: Okay. Now, uh, can I ask you uh, one more question, real quick? Okay, um, I on the internet, uh, you know, I, I go over people uh, uh, raising tomatoes and all, all the kinds of tricks that they use and everything. Uh, what do you think about um, Epsom salts and aspirin? Is that is that organic or not?
0: Well, Epsom salts are technically not organic because they're a chemical compound, but they're totally yeah. non toxic. Um, I've never used them for tomatoes or peppers or roses, and I get great harvests and great flowers. Um, I've never had a tomato plant complain of a headache, so I've never given them aspirin either.
3: Tomato plants are especially prone to disease at certain stages. They spray it with aspirin, and that's supposed to scare the tomato plant into thinking it's under... Uh, attack or Okay,
0: yeah, the, uh... yeah. This is why the internet needs to be more closely monitored. <laughs> yeah, that's it, Paul. No, you don't need that junk. Just grow them the way they're growing nature.
3: Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you very much.
0: All right, bye-bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind everybody out there that many crops like zucchini and other summer squash and string beans can and should be picked while they're still very small. The smaller the pickings for these plants, the better they'll taste at the dinner table. But don't go pint-sized picking just yet, because we'll be right back to make peace between your turf and your trees and take more of your peaceful phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is
4: provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com.
0: Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute, hosting a Fall on the Farm event on Saturday and Sunday, September 21st and 22nd. Visitors can enjoy organic apple and pumpkin picking, wagon tours, food vendors, live music, and more. Details at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later, yes, you can make turf and trees play nice together. We'll tell you how to do it after lots more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Jeff, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. How are you doing? I am just ducky today, Jeff. Thank you for asking. How are you, sir? I'm doing well.
5: And where is Jeff doing well? Uh, We're in Middle Tennessee, about 30 miles south of Nashville. Okay. A little town called Arrington. Okay, very good.
0: What can we do for Jeff in Tennessee?
5: So we have a bee farm, and we've planted all manner of uh, flowers to help support the bees. Included in that is some lavender. Um, We've got about 600 different... 600 lavender plants, three different varieties.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, and the most recent planting was some Hitcoat and some Munstead. Um, and it, it's taken well.
4: Got We've it. had a
5: wet spring and some, I'm dealing with some fungus issues. But had this mysterious looking thin, almost like string, wrapped around the plant, one Whoa. one plant, and tried to find a root to pull it off. I thought it was just a vine of some sort. There was no attachment to the earth. Uh Um, I cleared it off the plant, and Mm. then three days later, it was back.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
5: Did some Uh, research and and wasn't sure what it was.
0: Well, I can tell you what it is. Um, It looks like Spider-Man went crazy or somebody shot Silly String all over the plants. Exactly. Yes, it is one of a family of plants known as Dodder, D-O-D-D-E-R. Um, It is one of the few truly parasitic plants in North America. Like mistletoe, it does not root in the ground. It roots in the plant um, that it is sucking the life energies out of. Um, Mm. Dotter doesn't come out of the ground. It attaches itself to plants, and it can be... Nobody's really sure how and why it shows up. It doesn't show up that often, just often enough that people are aware of it when they see it. But it is a bear to control. Um, you want to go on to a couple of extension websites. Don't search chat rooms on the Internet or anything like that. Uh, Tennessee. Uh, Hopefully, Tennessee State Extension has articles on dodder, but it's not going to be different if you have to go to Massachusetts or Pennsylvania. Dodder is dodder, except um, there is an American form and there's a Japanese form. And they uh, actually do reproduce by seed and controlling the seeding of the plant is key. Um, how much of your lavender patch is infested with this plant?
5: It was one plant. Um, I've removed it. Good. Just, to, to, I didn't want it to spread. I, I suspected it was something in the plant that came from the nursery. I've inspected everything else. It seems fine, but mm-hmm. I eliminated that plant. And is it gone now? Are you cool? I, I've not seen any more. That particular plant was starting, the, the daughter itself was starting to get little flowery blooms, and I thought those probably contain seeds. Let's get rid of it. Yep. Very
0: good. That's exactly what happens. Uh, Dotter does flower and then produces seeds, and once that cycle gets started, it can be very difficult to control, even in conventional farming. Um, It can take many seasons uh, to get rid of a daughter outbreak. But that also might be because of the pressures that are put on plants in conventional uh, farming. I'm presuming because you have a pollinator garden specifically to support lots of beehives that you don't use any pesticides or chemicals. We don't. So I think that's to your advantage. That means your plants are inherently stronger. So... um, your daughter free, right? Uh, apparently, right now. Okay, but this is the the dirty little secret of organic gardening. Is the most important thing you can do is the daily inspection. So if you now that you know what it looks like, if you see it again, do exactly the same thing. Get rid of that plant. Um, do not compost it. You know, just wrap it up in a black trash bag. Let it sit in the sun for a couple of weeks and then toss it out with your household trash Um, now you also said you had fungal
5: problems from the wet spring we did um, and I did treat with a fungicide after talking to a larger um, uh, lavender farm that they were experiencing the same problem and they gave me some advice on what to use I don't recall what it was
0: but presumably it was a chemical uh, fungicide yes it was okay you got it you got to avoid that stuff Fungicides are some of the most toxic things you can use, and that's very uncool with bees. There are natural fungicides you can buy, you can research them, you know, check the Gardens Alive website to see what they recommend for something like that. And then you don't have to buy it from them, you can get it at retail. Um, But the secret to both lavender and rosemary is they despise wet feet they need really good drainage and in springs like it seems most of the country had uh, that started off cold and wet um, they need really good air circulation so even though it seems counterintuitive you could probably if the plants are really close together like most lavender patches are you could get rid of it naturally by thinning out the plants, just taking a couple of plants out of there. Um, sure. But yeah, don't don't use fungicides again, or you're going to get your your poor bees are going to get in trouble. Now, mm-hmm. has as the seasons progressed and gotten hotter, has that issue also resolved?
5: Well, we are we're still like we just had um, Barry came out of out of the Gulf and came up and dumped. You know, I had three inches of rain in the last two days. Um, so we're, we're still combating some moisture issues. Yeah. Uh, it, is, it is looking much better, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, when we planted it, we, we hilled everything, and, you know, I put a, a, basically an $8 hole for a $3 plant. You know, I put a lot of rock in it and, you know, did everything you can do to keep the feet as dry as possible.
0: Okay, good. Normally I would not recommend that, uh, but with lavender and rosemary and especially with the issues you've had, it probably would be a good idea to put small stones or um, sharp sand down in the, in the bottom of the hole. Just make sure that, you know, the hole itself, if it's, if it's clay, the hole gets beat up before you put anything in there so that it drains out of there. Yeah, anything you can do to keep the plants dry, air circulation, again, moving some plants around, thinning things out. Um, but especially with your, with your bees, you're, you're in a climate where your bees can, uh, can be fairly happy. So uh, don't do that again. Investigate. And if you want, you know, uh, pick up an organic fungicide. Have it ready so that you're not tempted to go back to the chemical one. Okay. All right, Jeff? Thank you very much. Well, thank you, because I, we haven't spoken about daughter on the show for at least a decade. And I think it's important that people um, who are watching the TV version see this plant and that everybody hears about it and is aware there is a parasitic plant that looks like Silly String.
5: Yeah, it was kind of crazy looking.
0: Yeah, it really is. Uh, If it wasn't so problematic, it'd be cool. Kind of like me. All right, thank you, Jeff. Thank you. You take care. Well, things are finally heating up outside, and gardening is great. The flowers are blooming, the veggies are ripening, and all sorts of problems are coming up, aren't they? That's why you need to call 833-727-9588 and ask me, your host, Mike McGrath, what to do on the next You Bet Your garden. 833-727-9588. 833-727-9588. Carol, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
2: Thank you, Mike.
0: Well, thank you, Carol. How are you?
2: I'm just fine today.
0: And where is Carol just fine?
2: In Califon, New Jersey, in northern Hunterdon County.
0: Okay, sure. What? Can, so you're a Jersey girl.
2: I certainly am, through and through.
0: All right. What can we do you for?
2: I'm calling about uh, Tom in Easton, who spoke to you A couple of months uh, several months ago actually about uh having a thistle problem in his yard Mm -hmm. and you felt certain that it was because his neighbors were feeding thistle seed to the birds
0: Uh but
2: that's
1: total Mm
2: -hmm. uh that uh, that's not what's going on uh the niger seed that we all put in our bird feeders is not thistle seed and i don't know how the confusion began but niger seed comes from a plant that has a flower that looks very much like the yellow Biden's daisy that we all buy at the garden center. Mm -hmm. So it's not a thistle at all. It is imported, but all that imported seed is heat-treated before it comes in so it will not germinate. The thistle that Tom was having problems with is probably Canada thistle, which is not the big bull thistle. It's not artichoke, but it's a uh, thistle that comes from Europe and Asia and it's been a problem for a very, very long time. Um, it spreads by seed that is blown on the wind, and the birds eat the seeds, but the bird problem comes when birds eat fruit. When they eat flower seeds, they eat each individual seed, and it 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 is not pooped out to begin again as a new plant. When they eat fruits, like Bittersweet or Wild Grape, Virginia Creeper, Spicebush Barberry, Wineberry, um, or Wild Cherry, those all come out the other end and are primed for germination, but not when they eat flower seeds.
0: So, um, when, I think I made the same mistake back when I was the editor of Organic Gardening, you know, because I I, I understand it's Niger seed, but they call them thistle feeders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And
2: and when I spoke to the kind people at Wild Birds Unlimited in Scotch Plains, New Jersey, I asked that question, and she said they don't know, and when I've been looking it up online, nobody seems to know when the confusion began.
0: But when I made the mistake at organic gardening, lots of listeners corrected, uh, lots of readers back then, corrected me, not so much about the misidentification of the plant that produced the seed, but the fact that the seed in the bird feeder was sterile, it, yeah. that it had been treated. And um, so, you sound very knowledgeable. Are you a master gardener or something? I am. Yeah?
2: And I've worked in retail horticulture now for 39 years, so. That's
0: great, that's great. You should be doing the show. Uh, um, <laughs> so, uh, let's go over this again. First of all, again, the thistle uh, thistle feeders don't have thistle they have niger which uh, you described if it could germinate would uh, grow into a nice daisy
2: it would if you could get it to do so but because it's sterilized it's not going to do anything
0: right and the-, the thistle that is in the fields even though birds eat the seed you're absolutely correct um uh that won't pass through them it's when they eat something like a hot pepper or as you describe wineberry that's full of seeds yes. that you know then they poop out seeds that will germinate and I'm so happy they do because I don't know about you but I'm a huge fan of the wine berries that are ripening up right now
2: Uh the and the, the thistle seed that he's having problems with simply spreads by seed um, and they, when I was looking this up, they say that there's about 1,500 seeds produced per plant.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. So
2: we don't stand a chance.
0: <laughs> well, what, what my advice about thistle before I went off the rails, and by the way, uh, we just repeated a show, and I begged everybody to, if there's a thistle call in there, don't include it, swap it out. And, of course, I'm sitting home watching the show on TV, and there's that thistle call, and I'm just moaning my head in my lap. <laughs> it's gonna haunt me forever. Your
2: your, uh, advice about cutting the thistle down seems to be the best advice going. Just keep cutting it, don't let it go to flower. And the uh, root systems on those, the estimates have been anywhere from six to 20 feet.
0: Oh yeah, the uh, the root system of a thistle patch is almost impenetrable. And yes, my advice has been to rope-a-dope, to keep cutting the flowers off before they can go to seed and eventually starving the plant by cutting it lower and lower and preventing photosynthesis. But oddly enough, I got a great question from a listener in the Washington DC area. Her boss owns a farm where they bale hay. And the guy who bales the hay for him wanted to use 2,4-D on the broadleaf weeds. And as you probably know, 2,4-D was an ingredient in Agent Orange directly linked to lots of cancers deadly to fish and amphibians so i did a whole bunch of research and you know the the new organic herbicides are iron based yeah like iron x and fiesta and a lot of the research i read because this is a farm that's serious business i wanted to give them really good advice Um, the results of using iron-based herbicides on thistle have been surprisingly good like knockdown rates in the 90 percent. So if somebody wants to really, you know, effectively spray the plants without harming anything else in the environment, one of these new iron-based herbicides may be just as effective as recutting, but, you know, easier for people who, um, you know, want to just kill the plant.
2: That sounds very hopeful, yes.
0: Yeah. I urge anybody who likes to read the science to read the results most well, I shouldn't say most, several extension uh, services have tested um, IronX or Fiesta in their own testing fields. And they've been surprised, especially in lawns, uh, the grass uh, is totally unaffected by the iron. But with weeds like dandelion and a thistle, they're getting like 95 percent control, which is, you know, pretty much as good as you can ever expect. Yeah. So thank you. Fit birds do not spread thistle. Your thistle feeder does not contain thistle. <laughs> the Niger seed in there is sterile, so you're not going to grow Niger either. And if you got thistle, keep cutting it down or spray it with iron.
2: Thank you very much, Mike. I appreciate that.
0: Oh, thank you, Carol. I love to be corrected. I don't <laughs> like mistakes to remain standing.
2: And thank you for your show, we all appreciate the enthusiasm you bring each week.
0: Well, thank you, it's better than me going out and trying to find a job. (laughs) Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind those brave souls who planted their own sweet corn that it is now time to keep an eye on your crop to achieve the perfect harvest time, which is about three weeks after the silks first appeared, And when a kernel pierced by your fingernail produces a milky white fluid, that is a certain sign of super sweetness. Don't let it stay on the plant too long or it'll go bitter. And don't go piercing those kernels just yet, because we'll be right back to make peace between your turf and your trees and take more of your peaceful phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at WLVT in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania support for you bet your garden is provided by the espoma company offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils more information about espoma and the espoma natural gardening community can be found at espoma.com welcome back to you bet your garden from the studios of brodale institute radio at wlvt in bethlehem pa i am your host mike mcgrath coming up in just a little bit how to achieve peace between your turf and your trees. In the meantime, more of your peaceful phone calls at 833 727 9588. Ellen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Uh,
4: thank you for taking my call.
0: Well, thank you for making it, Ellen. Where are you? Bristol, Pennsylvania. Bristol, just outside of Levittown.
4: Right. Where do uh, we do the stump?
0: Yeah, that's right. The Bristol Stomp. Yeah, um, um, I lived in the Levitt Castle on Red Cedar Drive. If you know that imposing structure, when my wife—I'll
4: have to go check it out.
0: When my when my wife and I were first together, um, we found this amazing castle-like structure, which Levitt had built, uh, lived in while he built Levittown. It was originally built by the Wistar Institute. It was their first. building in Pennsylvania, and we were able to rent a portion of it, and it was amazing. That's where my first garden was. I got spoiled by full sun.
4: I'm sure you did.
0: So I know Bristol quite well. You're on the Delaware down there in the northeast where people don't... Not not too far. ...don't realize the river runs. What can we do for Ellen in Bristol, PA?
4: Well, this is kind of a public uh, awareness call and some questions. Okay. I was recently... I was recently in the hospital for two days, three days, due to toxic squash syndrome, and none of the doctors had ever heard of it. And anybody who I mentioned it to had never heard of it. But I, I read about it. I could, I knew I had eaten a bitter squash, so I, all I did was Google bitter squash, right? And then the toxic squash syndrome came up. And um, in the two weeks since it. I was hospitalized. I've done a little bit of research about basically the plants that I picked the squash from because there were different information about plants being stressed, excuse me, stressed or uh, bad Uh cross-pollination. I'm pretty sure this was bad cross-pollination once I talked to the person who's kind of organizing the community garden because she had some volunteers from last year. Right. And that's, that's the That's squash. The squash. That I
0: okay, so let me. Um, very interesting. You know, I thought you were confusing it with toxic shock syndrome, but <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to be listening and learning here. I just want to explain to people cross pollination, which happens frequently with squash, because squash bees are very promiscuous. They will go from one flower to another without care of whether it's a summer squash, a winter squash, a pumpkin, whatever. That year's plants will not be affected, but the fruits of those plants will contain seeds that will not come true. You can plant the Mm -hmm. seed of a pumpkin that was experiencing cross-pollination. And uh, I did it once and got giant white birdhouse gourds. So, yes, (laughs) if you save seeds the following season, you can get some real surprises. And you're telling me that one of these potential surprises is dangerous to eat?
4: Um, It was very bitter. And my mother always taught me there's kids starving in China. Don't waste food. So... I made it in, into uh, zucchini pancakes, and mm-hmm. I ate the whole squash work. Mm-hmm. And then about eight hours later, I was very, very sorry I did it because it, it truly makes gives you uh, all the symptoms and problems of food poisoning.
0: Okay, Wow. So, I' have 30 years in this business, man and boy, and I've never heard of this, but I everything you say makes sense. A bitter taste is designed in in some way by nature to warn us of a poisonous plant. Um, The late Yule Gibbons, the ultimate forager, the first well-known forager, used to tell people that there are no poisonous plants that taste good because Mother Nature (laughs) doesn't want to kill you. And plants with a vile taste That's kind of telling humans and herbivores and everything else, stay away from me because I'm going to make you sick if you try and eat me. Um, So, you know, and and did it look like a zucchini?
4: It looked like a zucchini, but it had a yellow stripe on it. Hmm. I mean, so it was half green and half yellow. And supposedly this syndrome can result from a squash, a cucumber or a melon. Yes. So any any of those, if you eat and it has a bitter taste, don't eat the whole thing.
0: <laughs> well, no, don't eat, don't, don't take another bite, actually. <laughs> right, um, right. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. You have you have certainly taught me something. Um, I can't wait to get home and, and look this up. Even though we're doing a phone call, I may do a question of the week on this. This is fascinating. So is there something else you wanted to tell, to tell us?
4: Um. I think with my research, I've kind of figured out that it was not a stressed plant, that it was a cross-pollinated plant. So I wasn't quite sure what caused the problem. But since it's in a community garden, I I wanted to educate everybody who's gardening in that garden. So I I asked a lot of
2: questions.
0: Yes, it's very important. I I think we did uh, an episode on seed saving earlier in the year, maybe late last year. And um, I warned people, just, just for the sake of getting what you want, that you really have to isolate squash if you want to save the seed. It's very complicated because you have to let insects get to the flowers, uh, but then those insects can't be allowed to go to any other flower. I mean, to to grow pumpkins and squash true from seed for sale probably is the hardest job seed companies have. So. Yeah, I mean, but you know, there's no danger, really, in growing it. This seems to be a rare uh, syndrome, but uh, it's a, a wonderful lesson not to eat things that don't taste good. Matter of fact, that's why yeah. I'm, that's why I'm always telling people to let their green peppers ripen to red. That sharp taste of a green pepper is not necessarily mean it's toxic. But it's a sign that the seeds have not reached maturity, and when the pepper turns its final color, that's when it will be sweet, delicious, nutritious, and then you do the pepper a favor by passing the ripe seeds along. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, if if it doesn't taste good, don't eat it. Just mail it to <laughs> China, you know.
4: All right. So I picked a lot of I picked a lot of squash, and each squash I was grading to freeze. I tasted each squash, you know. So Absolutely. I'm freezing, freezing. I'm going to be a lot more cautious now.
0: Well, I'm glad you're but better. You. I'm glad you're well. Thank you so much. I'm going to research the heck out of this. Uh, it's so fascinating. It's so much fun to do this show and realize you can still, at, at, at my age, learn something.
4: We've, we've all got a lot to learn. Thank you for taking
0: my call. Well, thank you for making it, Alan. Call of the day. Thank you so much. All right. All right. As promised, it is time for the question of the week. Should you ever grind down the roots of a tree to improve a lawn underneath it? Sarah in Pennington, New Jersey writes, I watch your weekly television show for advice, especially concerning grass, trees, and shrubs. I live in a condo and the landscaper hired by the condo association has been grinding down the roots of maple and other trees that show at the surface. The association's contracted landscaper believes that this will help turf grow better under these trees. Do you have any advice concerning this practice that I could pass along to them? Boy, do I got advice for them. I got a bucket full of advice, a Lincoln Town Car full of advice. Advice that could take days in the blasting out of. But this is a family show, and I don't want to force any of the children watching or listening out there to have to explain to their parents what some of those words mean. However, most of the advice would start with the classic, what the dot dot dot? Above ground tree roots are the sign of a healthy tree. Those above-ground roots are proof that the tree isn't planted too deeply or smothered in cheap, toxic wood mulch. Above-ground roots are also, in my opinion, the handsomest parts of a tree. Sinew and muscle that remind us of how quietly powerful these silent giants are, especially in winter when the only thing you gotta look at on a deciduous tree is roots and bark. And, as Sarah seems to suspect, the torture of grinding those roots down will weaken the tree, perhaps unto death. Which brings us to the subject of trees and lawns, which is generally a horticultural affectation as opposed to an imitation of nature. In the real world, turf grass thrives in the absence of trees. Free from the shade cast by the trees in the summer and the tree-mendous struggle to take up enough of the water and nutrients that the trees would rather take for their own. And deciduous trees in nature have evolved to add a third level of competition. The annual dropping of their leaves in fall smothers most of the small plants on the forest floor, which is why the grassy weeds that bedevil gardeners just aren't seen in the deep woods. Yes, you often do see a lawn and a tree make nice, with grass growing right up to the trunk, These are always specimen trees that stand alone, where the lawn can receive sun from all sides. Once you get a lot of trees, you get less lawn. The best way for trees and turf to play nicely together is to note the natural range of the grass. Let's say it starts thinning out about five feet away from the trunk of the tree. That's where you want to stop trying to grow grass and instead make a natural looking divider of mulch, compost, arborist wood chips, that's not the dyed stuff, or pine straw, which is becoming more and more available in the mid-Atlantic states. Whichever mulch you choose, spread it one to two inches deep, beginning about six inches away from the trunk and out into a nice circle that ends where the grass begins to look good. So now the roots of the trees are covered, and if this is the kind of chore you're going to do, I strongly recommend you seek out pine straw, as it will suppress the grass but allow those above-ground roots to breathe. Looks nice, too. The visual effect will be pleasing, and the landscaper can't complain about difficulty mowing or weed-whacking near the tree. Now... What if there's a situation where a tree is displayed out in the open, grass seems to do well under it, and it has those annoying above-ground roots? Well, now the mulch has to be compost. Or in this case, it could also be composted manure, as both the tree and the turf would love the nitrogen the composted manure provides. Just make sure that the manure is completely composted, as unfinished horse manure will give you more weeds than you had in your first garden. But instead of one or two inches, begin with a quarter to half an inch of compost. Allow the grass to grow up into the compost, then add another half an inch. Keep adding small amounts until the roots are completely covered, being careful not to allow any compost to actually touch the trunk of the tree. Yes, now we have the classic mowing problem. How to have the grass looking nice without constantly banging into the tree like a bumper car on drugs or whipping it apart with a weed whacker. The answer, slow down. I see landscapers and their helpers who think that their zero-radius turning mowers are competitors in the Indy 500. If there were more than one working on a small area, I'm certain one would try to bump past the other mower into a wall. I know that time is money for landscaping crews, but the speed at which some of these people are operating today is patently ridiculous. If you want to sculpt the perfect union of grass and tree, you need to simply take your time. If you don't want to take your time, create that protective ring of mulch. But for the sake of common sense, do not ever grind down the roots of a tree, or Groot will come and get you. I am Groot. That sure was some timely advice about trees and turf, now, wasn't it? Luckily for yous, you can read all the details at your leisure or leisure. Because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be, youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to grind my roots if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired. You're poor. You're wretched refuse of a question teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT.org. Always please include your location. You'll find all of this wonderful contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of recent shows, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. Yes, kids, it's all at YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio in association with WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Harold and Nancy McGrath. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work and interesting pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Tierra Tavia Minnett is our associate producer of Production Association. Our website wonder is Anastasia Weckerly. Our audio editor is Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Our producer is I'm a not here. Our occasional cameraman is Jeff Frederick. Our marketing madman is Jaunty Jim McDonald. Our chief techno officer is Andy Cummins. Zach Attack Wisniewski in the house. And our CEO, Tim Fallon, might be in the house. But if he is, he's late for a meeting. He is also still not our executive producer. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. And with no producer and no executive producer, I feel like I'm down 0-2 in the count with the bases loaded. So I'm going to try and foul off some pitches until I can slap the ball down the right-hand side and hopefully make it to first base before the third man scores. Which reminds me. I really like the movie, The Third Man, that great zither music scenery chewing by Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton and, oh, our CEO is here. He seems to be storming out of his meeting and heading this way. I better steal home so I can see you again next week. Tim, what do you mean the credits are too long? It's barely half the show. That means two fewer wrong phone call answers from me some people don't know a bargain when they see one
4: ah this is the ticket oh it is is it beautiful night i got my best girl with me although you know what could make it even better let me guess some mint chocolate chip bingo you always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in partners since the beginning Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network.
0: Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Is it ever okay to improve the soil in the planting hole of trees and shrubs? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next You Bet Your Garden, we'll review the rules of proper planting. Just in time for those amazing garden center fall closeout sales plus your full-priced phone calls. That's on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden.